Good morning. It's a great morning. It's beautiful outside. Looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. Um, as we were singing uh, the new song today, I think it was the second or third song, it was a new song to me at least, was uh, these words came to my mind. We were singing about how God has been good to us all of our days, like all of the days. I can't remember the line. Anyway, um, and so the, it was reminding me of Psalm 23, and it's a great psalm. And the end of the psalm, it says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this, I don't know about you, but this morning, I'm just thankful. I look at my life, and I do see uh, God's goodness all over, all over my life. It's not easy, but I see God's goodness all over my life. You know what I mean? And when you're in, in a difficult time, uh, sometimes it's hard to see that, but then when you come through it, you look back, you see God was with you, and he was good to you, and he provided people and help and encouragement and those things through, through his provision of one another, right? And we can just look back, and today I'm just really thankful that song really kind of stirred in me. Man, God has been good to me all the days of my life, and then I declare with the psalmist, and surely goodness and love will follow me too all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it only gets better. We have a great finish line. The reward for us is without our ability to even understand or comprehend. The Bible says you can't even imagine. No mind has conceived what God has in store for those whom he loves. You can't even imagine uh, what lies ahead. Isn't that exciting? Because I can imagine some big things, and my mind isn't even able to imagine what is in store for us. That's so cool. Well, today we're uh, continuing our year-long series on uh, 40 Days in the Word. <laughs> uh, it's a joke because it's going way past 40 days. But um, today is week seven, and I think we're going to do a couple more weeks of this just to lead us into, into the Easter season. But um, each week I'm asking you to memorize a verse with, with me, okay? And not only that, but we're trying to develop a lifelong pattern of reading and studying God's Word every day, every day. That's the, that's the big challenge here is to get into the habit every day of putting yourself into God's Word, reading His truth, letting Him speak to you, letting Him inform you, uh, letting His truth, you know, set you free and, and, and so that you can walk in that and be blessed because of it, okay? And, they, and so today's verse is a flashback to the very first week when we started this thing, I talked about this story in Matthew chapter 7. So it's about the wise man and the foolish man. And we didn't memorize this verse, but it is the whole point of the parable. And it says this in Matthew seven twenty four: everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, okay, that's the key, and puts them back into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And so this whole series has been built on this concept that we want to build our lives on the Word of God. We want, to, we want to put the Word of God into practice. And the Bible says storms will come to both uh, a, a wise person and a foolish person, to an, a good person, an evil person. Storms come. It's just part of life. And uh, we had some wind a couple of days ago, and I saw some things that got blown around. And some extra branches fell and stuff like that. So storms come, but when they come, the person who will stand and not come crashing down is the person who is 
building their life on God's word and putting it into practice, okay? So let's memorize this this week, but not just memorize it. Let's make sure that we're actually doing it. So whatever God is saying into, into you, in, into your heart as you're spending time, you know, reading the Bible and, and praying uh, from this message, from other messages you might hear, uh, any verses that are stirring in your heart, whatever God is saying, the whole point is not just to hear it, but do it, do it, do it. Put it into practice, okay? Amen? All right, so um, last week we were looking at how to, um, I don't remember the title last week, uh, but we are looking at how to interpret Scripture. I don't know if that was the, the title or not. But there's four things we talk about. Observation means what does it say? So when we're reading the Bible and we're trying to learn from the Bible, we need to, first of all, just write down what does it say? What am I reading? What am I seeing here in the text? And we get a journal and we just write down, this is how you study the Bible. You write down what you're seeing. You don't just read it, but you write down and you engage in it. If you begin to write, even today, if there's anything that's spoken that kind of uh, uh, is like, oh, I like that, you should write it down on your log notes. That's why I give you log notes, so that you can take them home, because you will retain so much more if you're actually engaged in what we're doing right now. Uh, And so you get the notes, you hear them, if you're looking at your notes right now, and you're reading that verse at the same time that I'm talking about it, and then we kind of work through the message together, and you're engaging with that piece of paper, and then you write something else down, all of a sudden, you're like... Your, your brain is getting more and more engaged, and you will remember more and more of what we're doing here together, okay? So when you study the Bible, you, you ask the question, what is this saying? And you write down what you see. The second thing is interpretation. What does it mean? And we talked about that a little bit and gave you some tools, and we're going to practice this a little bit more today. And then the third thing was, was that the question that we ask ourselves is, what other verses explain this that I'm reading? Is there anything else in the Bible that, that correlates to this, that relates to this, to help me understand it even more? And that's why I was challenging you, if you've never done this before, uh, to get yourself a study Bible. A study Bible does that all the time. And so uh, this is a study Bible. This is an NIV study Bible. And when I read through the study Bible the first time in my life, and I actually read the study notes, I grew so much that year because there's so many other information that the, the study Bible helps you connect with. And so honestly, when I'm reading my study Bible, and I, I do this, this is just one page, I just opened it up to 1 John. It's about 40% of this is the Bible, and 60% of this page are study notes explaining it. It's awesome, okay? So if you want to really grow in your faith, then you want to get a study Bible because this actually helps you do the things that I'm trying to teach you how to do anyway. It will really help you connect dots to other stories, other scriptures, to understand the, the context of what Jesus is saying or what the Bible is saying, okay? Uh, and then finally, the, the main point of all of this is, as the sages say, we study in order to learn, in order to do, Matthew seven twenty four to put it into practice. So the whole goal is this. As we put God's word into practice, we begin to walk in the blessing of God. It's like tasting the ice cream. You don't go to the ice cream store just to look at it, you know? Like, oh, Superman ice cream, uh, moose tracks, you know, what's that, mint chocolate chip, mint. Oh, 
you look at those things and you just kind of walk out. And you're like, man, that was great. No, it wasn't. You wouldn't be saying that. It was great when you got it and you licked it. And you, mmm, yeah. That's when it's great. That's, so the blessing of the word of God is not just going to church and hearing the message, although there is the blessing of God's presence, the blessing of the love and the camaraderie that we share and the fellowship that we have, the power of prayer, uh, the, of course, all these things. But the, the, the point of the word of God is not just to be read and say, wow, that was great. I loved reading that. No, the blessing is tasting it. It's living it. It's doing it. And then the blessing of God happens because you're, you're in it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the difference between looking at ice cream and tasting it. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not just that you hear it. It's that when you start to live it, all of a sudden your life becomes blessed. That's, that's the blessing that God wants to pour into our lives. Okay, so today we're going to do just another text, and we're going to look at this. And this is how you understand the meaning of a text. I want to walk you through a couple of... Uh, just some, some guidelines so that you are able to grow. You know the old saying, you can feed someone a fish or you can teach them how to fish. If you feed them a fish, you'll feed them for a day, right? Give them a fish, you feed them for a day. But if you teach them how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime, right? And so that's who we are. We are disciples. Your, your role is not to depend on me, you know, to grow. You're, you are to be trained to be able to go to God and his word and his Holy Spirit and with prayer, to be a dynamic Christ follower everywhere you go, equipped, empowered, encouraged with God's word, living it out. Amen? So I'm just trying to make sure that you have all the tools to glean everything that you need from the word of God because God's got a purpose and a calling on your life. And you need to know how to connect directly to God and his word and his Holy Spirit. Because, you know, we're not always together. And it was never designed to be that way. Every single one of us is equipped with the very same Holy Spirit and the very same Word of God. And, and, and yet we all have a different journey and a different people, you know, people in our lives that God wants us to be that conduit, conduit of heaven to them. So we all need to be equipped. We are all in this together. Okay? So, um, we're going to look at a passage out of John chapter 15. This is a great passage. Uh, you probably are familiar with some of this. So, if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 15. If you have a Bible like mine, the entire chapter is red. It's red. That means Jesus is talking. All right? So, I got one of those special Bibles, you know. It's the red letter edition. It's NIV study Bible red letter edition. Okay? So, I can see quickly when Jesus is talking. And so in John chapter 15, I'm going to read uh, the first 17 verses. Let's just enjoy the word. And Lord, we pray as we read your word that it will come alive to us today. And you just speak to us, Lord, each one of us in, in this room, that you would speak to us, God. Help us to hear what you're saying to us today, that we will leave this place encouraged and built up from your spirit and your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is talking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He loves teaching with like word pictures uh, and object lessons. And, and I think, uh, as you'll see here, he is actually walking with his disciples past some vineyards at this point, I believe. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will 
be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How many of you could use some joy? All right, so Jesus is telling us some things that should be bringing us joy, okay? So if you don't interpret what he's saying correctly, you may not be feeling joy. But if you, if you interpret it correctly, then it will bring joy to you, okay? So we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, verse, uh, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Didn't we sing something like that? I am chosen. Not forsaken, yeah. And appointed you. So I've chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Now, there is a ton of awesome things in this passage, and there's no way we have enough time to talk about all of it. So we're going to just focus on just a little part of it. And today I want to focus on this word, fruit, okay, because it talks about fruit quite a bit in this passage. And how do you understand a passage of Scripture? Well, there's a few uh, different principles or, yeah, principles I want to give you. But there's one verse in here that may cause some people a little bit of uh, stress. And it's verse 6. It says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire, and burned. What in the world is he talking about there? I don't know if that creates any stress in you. <laughs> but a couple of verses later, Jesus is saying, I have told you things so that my joy will be in you, and your joy will be made complete. So uh, the problem with sometimes in the Bible is people read a verse, and then they take it on its own, and then they create a meaning with that verse, and it can be off. It can be wrong. Okay, like I said last week, the Bible has many, many applications. When you're reading it, it can apply to a lot of different situations. But it has one 
correct interpretation. This is very important that you agree with me on this, okay? Because here's the problem. If there's many interpretations, then we can all make up whatever we want the Bible to say. And that's what some people do. They just say, well, this is what I believe it, it says. But, but, but I want to give you some principles to show you how to guard against misinterpreting the Bible. Because some people have taken this scripture and they will say something like this. Is that verse up there? Yeah, they'll say, oh man, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away. So God's going to cut me off. I'm going to lose my salvation. And I'm going to be thrown into the, into, into the fire of hell. And that's how it's been. Some people have preached this, this verse right here. You see that? Because they see fire. Oh, that must be hell. Um, the branch, well, I'm the branch. He's cutting me off. He's throwing me away. He's burning me up. Wow, I'm freaking out here. Okay? And a couple verses later, Jesus says, that your joy may be full. I told you this so that you'd be filled with joy. And you're like, I'm not filled with joy. That's freaking me out. Okay? So that's not what it means. It's not what it means. You can't just take one verse out of context and just isolate on that one verse without the whole picture. So I want to teach you guys how to to interpret correctly and, and how to graciously help other people correct some thinking too, okay, along the way. All right? Sound good? All right. So the first principle is that you need to consider the historical context, and that really is the who, the what, the when, the where, the why of the context going on. So I'm going to go through that context with you. Where, who's speaking? To whom is this person speaking? When, why, what's the context, and so on, okay? Now, again, I have the red letter edition. And what you'll notice in the context here is John chapter 13, Jesus starts a discussion with his disciples in the upper room. Do you know when that took place in the upper room? That was hours, hours before what happened, before he was betrayed. Now, we are at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. We are at the home stretch. It is literally a couple of hours before Judas meets him in the Garden of Gethsemane and betrays him. And in John chapter 13, uh, it says this, verse 1, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. The Bible clearly says Jesus knew it was time. He knew what was going to happen in a couple of hours. He's telling his disciples as he shares this last supper together, which is what really we refer to as communion, Holy Communion, or the Eucharist. This is Jesus sharing with his disciples, saying to them, one of you is is about to betray me. Remember that conversation? And then Judas gets up and he leaves and Jesus says to him, go do what you need to do. And the disciples didn't realize what he was doing. They just thought he had some bills to pay or something. But he was going to betray him. And so Jesus knew exactly what was going on. So the context of this is John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 is that night's conversation. It's four chapters, one conversation. It's all packed in right there, and there's Jesus' final words. 
So this has some significant meaning, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? If you knew you had hours left to live, what would you do? What Jesus did is he, he gathered his closest disciples, 11 of them. There were 12, and then there was 11. And when, when he said this, chapter 15, there's only 11 of them with him at this time. Judas had already left to betray him. He's in the midst of bringing the people to him. And he's sharing his most important lessons because he knows this is my last speech. This is it. And so he, he does something here in, verse, in chapter 13. I'm just trying to give you the context where it says here in uh, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he began to show his disciples the full extent of his love. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus was showing them the full extent of his love. And his, his lesson to them, the final lesson he's giving them is, I'm going to serve you even though I am God he knew who he was. He knew God had put all things under his authority. He was all-powerful, and what did he do? He goes all the way down to the role of a servant, and he washes his disciples' feet. And, he, and when he got done with it, he said, follow my example. You've seen what I have done. Now you need to do that for one another. You need to love one another like that. You need to serve one another like that. This is what I have just done for you. Now do this for one another. There's no greater command I can give you. The new command I give you is love one another. Now you, you're show, I'm showing you the full extent of my love, that I humble myself before you. And so he's given them, you know, his greatest lesson right now is on serving. And so John 13, 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, Jesus knows what's going on here. He knows that his disciples' world is about to be rocked. They don't realize that. Even though he's been trying to tell them this, you can read the Gospels, he's having these conversations three or four different times with his disciples, telling them he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be killed, you know, but they're, they're not getting it, okay? But he knows it's going to happen, and he knows there's a storm coming, and their world is going to get rocked in a couple of hours, and it did. They all freaked out, right? Peter denied Jesus. Everybody ran from Jesus, you know, and, and they didn't know what to do. They were freaking out. But he is giving him, them, words of encouragement for the storm that's about to come. That's what he's doing here. And so we look at verse, uh, or chapter 14, and he says four things to them that he's trying to build up and give them encouragement. The first one that he says to them in this chapter, chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, uh, specifically verse 2 and 3, he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He's talking about heaven, isn't he? We sang about that in uh, Good, Good Father, that there's a place for me. I'm chosen, and there's a place for me. And Jesus is encouraging them, saying, I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You you, you have a great future. You, you can be rest assured that you will be with me in eternity. Isn't that good news? That's encouragement. The Bible says, encourage one another with these words in Thessalon, uh, Thessalon, 
Thessalonians. And he's talking about when Jesus will return and we will all meet him in the air. And then, uh, then Paul writes, encourage each other with these words. Remind each other that Jesus is coming back. Come on, he's coming back. He's going to deliver us. He's going to save us. There's a place for us in heaven. No matter what's going on and how difficult it is, keep your focus on eternity, right? There is a hope and a place for you that God is, is, is making. Then Jesus goes on in, in verse 14, and he says this encouraging thing. He says, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow, ask me. I won't be here, but you can ask in my name, and I will do it. I will do it. Ask, and I will do it. Isn't that encouraging? It's encouraging because these guys lived with Jesus, and they saw the blind healed, the leper cleansed. They saw uh, dead people rise again. I mean, they saw all this stuff, and now Jesus is saying, ask in my name, and I'll do it. That, to them, that was like, ooh, oh, yeah, awesome, awesome. So even though you're not with us anymore, we can, and they still didn't really understand what was going on, but, you know, these words are there. They're being spoken. They're being planted in their consciousness. They're hearing these words of encouragement. Oh, I can ask in his name, okay? Continuing on, Jesus is saying number three, he says in, in verse 16 to 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will live with you, and he will be in you. He will be there to help you, to encourage you, to guide you. He will remind you of everything that I taught you. You're not alone. You'll never be alone, okay? Hard times are coming, but you can ask me for anything. My presence will be with you. And there's a place for you in eternity at the end of all of this. And the final thing that he says to them to encourage them is in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. And I believe this. He was saying this. And he said, peace I leave with you. I, I believe they f- just felt like the peace of God, the presence of God come upon them. Because he said, peace I give you. I leave with you. Uh, I don't give you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Remember, in a couple of hours, they're all going to be freaking out. They need to know this. They need to know that they can still have peace when everything seems in turmoil, when their life seems to be ending or at risk, that there's a place for them. They can call on God, that they're not alone, and that there's peace even in the midst of the storm. Is that preached to anybody here? Does that encourage anybody here? This is Jesus saying to you, to me, today, hey, whatever storm is raging in your life, Listen, there is encouragement. There's hope for you. You're not alone. You can have peace. You can ask. You can seek me. I'm hearing. I'm listening. I will do as you, as you ask in my name. And in the end, you win. There's a place for you. Come on. So this, he's trying to encourage his disciples. Okay? So um, that's the context. Who is the 11 disciples close to Jesus? The what? is the most important thoughts and final lessons he's passing on to his disciples that he spent three and a half years with. The win is hours before Jesus is betrayed and tried and crucified. Less than 12 hours, he will be on a cross at nine in the morning the next day. Um, so some, somewhere between 12 and 14 hours is, is when uh, these words were spoken before he was on the cross. The why, to give them encouragement to make it through the tough time that they're about to have. And the where, 
was it started in the upper room, uh, and, and the conversation is happening, and then we get to chapter 15, and after the supper, after that supper, they get up, and they begin to walk towards the Garden of Gethsemane. So the conversation is continuing on. They're done with some of these instructions. He's like, let's go. We're going to go pray. Uh, they walk from the temple uh, mount, which was the upper room, they think, was near the temple mount area. They came down the what's called the Kidron Valley. It was a very steep slope. And then they began to ascend back up the uh, um, Mount of Olives. So there's, that's what made the valley. The temple mount was, was here. Then they went down the Kidron Valley. And then this was the, uh, what did I just say? The, temp, the, the what? Mount of Olives. <laughs> the Mount of Olives. So they walked down and started walking up to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the midst of that walk, they were probably walking by some vineyards. And so now we look at John chapter 15. Jesus is knowing that their world is about ready to be rocked, that they're going to be troubled. He's encouraging them, and then he sees the vines. And he goes into John chapter 15. He says, oh, by the way, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You can't bear any fruit unless you remain with me. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. It's my Father's desire that you bear a lot of fruit. This brings glory to my Father. This brings glory to God. And, and by the way, you see that, that dead branch, that dead branch there? It's good for nothing. It's not bearing any fruit because it's detached from the vine. So it's only, it's only use right now is for us to pick it up and use it for firewood to, to cook some food. That's its, own, that's its only purpose. But it's lost its real purpose. It's lost its, its vitality to what? To produce grapes or to produce fruit. Its purpose is not to be burned. Its purpose is to be fruitful. How many of you want to be fruitful for God? All right? You know, some people say God just wants us to be faithful. And, and success and fruitfulness, that's not, that's not important to God. No, yeah, it is. It is important that you're faithful. But it's also God's will that you are fruitful. It's God's desire that you bear much fruit and bring glory to God with your life. So Jesus isn't talking about that's you and you're going to burn in hell. He's saying it's lost its purpose. It's only purpose now. And this is what they, they didn't have stoves and gas, you know, appliances. Uh, they, to, to cook food, what they would collect uh, sticks and limbs and wood and they would use that to cook their food. So all Jesus is saying about the fire and the burning is not about hell. It's that that's its only purpose left, but that's really not its original purpose. It's not really doing what it was meant to do. And so that's you, that's me. So in the context of that, do you see uh, how that scripture could be misinterpreted? You see that? Okay. So the second principle I want to share with you real quick is you must define the key words when you're trying to understand a passage of Scripture. So first of all, there's a lot of context going on in this particular passage, a lot. And you can't just read the verse before and the verse after. We're actually looking at four chapters, right? We're looking at this whole picture of what Jesus is talking about and who he's talking about and why he's talking about it and begins to put a, a clear focus on what it means. But the second one is that you've got to define the key words, and the key word that we want to look at today is fruit, Okay? Because if God says he wants us to bear much fruit, what is fruit? What is that? Am I going to 
sprout apples on my fingertips or something? Of course not. So what is he talking about, about fruit? Some of us might immediately jump to a conclusion of, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Yeah, I know God wants you to have that too, but is that what Jesus is saying or, or not? Now, in the Bible, uh, there's, fruit is used 44 times in the New Testament, and there's over 10 different meanings in the way it's used. Okay? So you can't just assume it's, there's just whatever meaning jumps into your head is the right one. There's several different meanings. In Matthew 3, 8, there's this phrase, fruit of repentance. So that's, that's uh, someone turning back to God, turning away from sin. In Matthew 26, 29, there's a phrase called fruit of the vine, and that's literally talking about communion wine. It's literally talking about grapes, okay? Romans 7, 5, uh, there's a phrase called fruit for death, and that refers to a lifestyle of sin, that when you live in a lifestyle of sin, you're going to have fruit of death happening in your life. Uh, Romans 15, 18 says, we receive this fruit, and the fruit there is an offering that was given. Money. So fruit in that case is money. Uh, Galatians 5.22, of course, has the fruit of the Spirit, which I just mentioned, those nine fruits of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.9, there's a phrase called fruit of life, and it's talking about truth and righteousness and goodness. Colossians 1.6 says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So the fruit in that is new believers. It's people, right? It's bearing fruit and growing. It means more people are coming to know the Lord. They're new believers. And Hebrews 13, 15 says, praise to God the fruit of our lips. In other words, the fruit of our lips is when we praise God, okay? So there's all these different meanings of fruit. So what does it mean in this, in this passage? Um, so the next question and the third principle is, I must interpret unclear verses with clear ones. So the best way to interpret the Bible is use the Bible. Use itself. It tells you itself what it's saying. Okay, so we're going to try that together. Now, uh, this isn't always easy, but the more you read the Bible, the more you begin to connect dots and you see things that, that help you understand other things. It's awesome. Holy Spirit and the Word of God will help you learn and grow, and you'll see more and more connections, okay? So in this passage, when we read through it, there's three clear characteristics of fruit I want to point out to you. The first one is found in John 15:4. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the clear principle here, very clear, is bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. Do you agree with that? He's saying, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Okay, so remaining in Christ has something to do with bearing fruit. That's all I'm saying. All right, the second thing we see very clearly is John 15, 8. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. In other words, bearing fruit brings glory to God, right? That's what he says. It's very clear. All right, the third one, John 15, 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So bearing fruit will give us joy. All right, so it's pretty clear. All right, now we're going to go into uh, the fourth principle, okay? And it is look for the most obvious meaning in the scriptures. Don't try to invent something new. The Bible is not secretive. Uh, it's not trying to hide things. Uh, the, the, the Bible was given to reveal God, not to conceal God. All right? So we don't have to, like, look for secrets. 
Uh, I think that's where we get into trouble when we overthink and overanalyze and over-symbolize. Uh, and that's where we get all kinds of crazy ideas and we have different cults and things that happen because people just try to find something unique and they try to do something that's never been done before. I'm a, I've, I've, I've learned something that no one's ever said before ever. And as soon as you hear that, run. Okay? Because uh, Jesus did not come to hide. He came to reveal. God is here to reveal himself to us. Uh, and so deep secrets are always red flags for me. Really, really red flags, okay? And, and not everything in a parable, for instance, has a special meaning. The idea of a parable was to make one point. The whole story is meant to make one major point every time. We, we did the parable in John, uh, Matthew chapter 7 about the wise man and the foolish man. The whole story has one point. Put my word into practice. Put it into practice. That's the whole point. And so people can start, oh, the rock means this, and, and the waves mean that, and the wind means this, and we can overdo it. A, the point of a parable, the point of a story, if you ever try to tell your kids a story because you're trying to teach them a lesson, the whole point of the story is to teach that lesson, right? It's not, the, it's not like, oh, this is a, you know, and, and they start putting meaning into every little word that you've chosen. You're like, no, 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 that's not the point. Have you ever said that to your kids? No, that's not the point. What I'm trying to say is this, right? And so we need to, we need to understand that, you know, what the Bible is actually trying to do. So in John 15, 6, Jesus said, again, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This is not about you losing your salvation. This is not about you uh, being cast into hell because you're a bad person or you're a bad Christian or your sin has eliminated you from the grace of God. It's no, it has nothing to do with that. The purpose of a fruit tree is to bear fruit. The purpose of your life is to bear fruit for God. That you are, your purpose is to remain in Christ. If you remain in Christ, you bear fruit. If you do not remain in Christ, you do not bear fruit. If you're walking in faith with God, if you're in fellowship with him, if you're leaning on him, if you're trusting in him, you will bear fruit. If you are doing it on your own, if you're independent from God, if you're not relying on God, if you're not trusting in God, you will not bear fruit. You're like a branch that went rogue, that's fallen off the tree, and you've lost your purpose. You will not bear fruit. Does that make sense? Okay. This is not about heaven and hell. He's talking to his 11 disciples. Right? He's not saying, you guys better toe the line. If you don't do what I'm telling you to, you're going to go to hell. He's not saying that. He's saying, guys, I'm passing all of this on to you because when you remain in me and you rely on me, you will bear much fruit, and the mission continues. The mission continues, okay? So um, let's look at a couple of verses here. In John 15, 7, we're going to look at some other verses that will help us understand the meaning of the word fruit, okay? 15, 7, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, all right? So remaining in Christ... The Bible says, if you remain in me, that it ask, it'll be done for you. Remaining in Christ means our prayers are going to be answered there. That's pretty exciting. Okay? So let's, let's go back. Bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. 
Remaining in Christ is answered prayers. In math class, if A equals B and B equals C, we say A equals C. Let me do that again. If A equals B, 3 equals 3, and B equals C, 3 equals 3, then A, 3, equals C, 3. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so we're going to do a little math. Okay, here we go. Okay, bearing fruit from remaining in Christ, remaining in Christ, answered prayers, bearing fruit, answered prayers. Okay, all right. Let's go again. John 14, 13. Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Ask, uh, and so the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when prayers are answered, God is glorified. Right? So he says, um, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified. So answered prayers bring glory to God. Okay, so here we go. Bearing fruit, remember this one? Brings glory to God, and glory to God comes from answered prayers. Bearing fruit is answered prayers. All right, number three, last one. <laughs> John 16, 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Bearing fruit completes our joy and we are complete, our joy is completed from asking and receiving through answered prayers. So bearing fruit is answered prayers. So the meaning of this whole passage is Jesus is saying, remain in me, remain in me, and ask me, and remain in me, and ask whatever you, you, you need in my name, and I will give it, and you will be fruitful. You will bear much fruit, and it will bring glory to God. And your joy will be complete. And you can't be fruitful if you're not remaining in me, if you're not in fellowship with me, if you're not seeking me, if you're not asking, if you're not praying, if you're not bringing heaven to earth. You can't be fruitful if you're on your own, doing your own thing, focused on your own agenda. I want you remaining in me focused on me, praying to me, and God will answer your prayers, and God will receive glory, and you will be filled with joy. Isn't that awesome? And so the power of a Christian life is found when we remain in Christ, and we put all things, all of our life uh, before him in prayer, and we begin to ask. Do you understand that prayer is the currency that, that exchanges earth for heaven. It is the currency that you, you're able to make an exchange. We have this here. We want that up there. So prayer brings that up there down here. That's what does it. It's the exchange. It, it, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so Jesus wants us to bear fruit because we are his image bearers on the earth. And to do that, we need to open our mouth. We need to declare the promises of God, we need to ask, 
and the Bible says we will receive, okay? 20 times in the scripture, uh, we are told in the New Testament alone, the New Testament urges us to ask in prayer, to ask, to ask. James, uh, I think it's 4, verse 2 maybe, it says, you have not because you ask not. So the storehouse of heaven is open at all times. The only time it's closed is when your mouth is closed. Because all of the promises of God are yes. And we say, we got to say something. We got to say, amen, Lord. Bring down a storage container 53-B. Bring it over. Drop it right here. That's what we need. Lord, we need the resources of heaven to do heaven's agenda on the earth. And so we need to ask. We need to ask. And James tells us how to ask. Don't ask doubting. You ask with, with faith. You believe. Don't doubt. You ask. And Jesus said the same thing uh, about talking to the mountain. I was struck by this. In Mark chapter 11, uh, th- there's a story. And this was the same time. There's, these are, this is in John. This is in Mark 11. And I, I made a connection because I've been reading the Bible, you know, for a long time, studying and so when I study one thing, my brain goes ding, 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 and kind of filters through other things. And I came across this. And so Jesus is walking to the temple during that week, and he, and he sees in the distance a fig tree. Remember that story? And it had leaves. But the Bible tells us it wasn't fruit season, but it had leaves. It, it was acting like it had fruit. So as they get closer to it, Jesus went to the fig tree to grab some figs. And there were no figs, no fruit. And Jesus said, no, nobody's ever going to have any fruit from you anymore, you know? And the disciples like, whoa, man, all right. And just keep on walking. They go back to Bethany. The next morning, they make another trip into the city. This is his final week. And the, the fig tree has um, withered up from the roots and had died overnight, just like that. And the disciples like, whoa, Jesus, look at that fig tree. You cursed that thing yesterday. Look at it. And then he said this uh, in Mark chapter 11. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. How about that for an object lesson? Jesus cursed that tree. The next day, it's, it's withered. Now, this is, this is in the same couple of days when he now talks about the vine. They may have walked by that fig tree again on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane because it was on the same path. And so here's another illustration of Jesus saying, prayer, prayer, speak it. You can have it. Fruit is, is all about, in this context, it's all about praying for, for prayers to be answered in his name. He would be with you. He will answer those prayers, and you will have, you'll bring glory to God, and you'll be filled with joy. How many of you have had answered prayers? Isn't that wonderful? And how many prayers have we not prayed and not had answers to? So the Bible is just urging us, ask. Here's an analogy that might help you. Don't treat prayer like a spare tire. Okay? Spare tire is only in emergencies, right? Something breaks down. We have a problem. 
we have a crisis. We go out to the trunk, we get the spare tire, put the little donut ring on there, and, and that's prayer. Oh, God, now that I'm in great trouble, now I need help. It's the last resort. I've tried everything. I've tried to figure this out. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. I was a dead branch over here trying to do my thing, and now prayer is a spare tire. Instead, it should be the steering wheel. It should be the steering wheel. It should be involved in every moment of your journey. Do you see the difference? So, so prayer is like, oh, God. We, he says, in all things, with, with thanksgiving, whatever it is, make your request known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, in everything, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, you see, I want to challenge you this week to just stir up your prayer life. You know, we've been talking about reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, studying the Bible, okay? But today, in the midst of that, let's be praying. Let's be seeking God. Let's be asking God for his help in all these things. Let's not lose our purpose. We cannot bear fruit apart from prayer. Like Pastor Thampi always says, much prayer, much fruit. No prayer, no fruit. Much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. So the Bible says to ask. Jesus says to ask. And, uh, and so here's the, here's the memory verse of the week, right? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Okay? I want to invite our worship team forward as we close our service this morning. And I want to put this into practice. Okay? There's two things I want you to do. If you have a pen or pencil, I want you right now somewhere on those log notes or somewhere if you can. If you don't have anything to write with, that's okay. You've got a cell phone and get it out and text yourself. <laughs> you know, get it out and put it in your notepad or something. I want you to write one sentence before we go of something that you are going to pray about this week that you need to see fruit. Maybe you need some fruit in your marriage or in your finances or in your health or in your children or in your career or in your school or in something that you're, you're doing. If you look at your life and right now you're not bearing fruit in something, you've been struggling, you hear what I'm saying? You've been trying to do it on your own or you've been just striving and not getting anywhere, then how do you have fruit? The Bible says, Jesus says, we pray. We ask God. We, we remain in him, we seek him, and we pray into that area of our lives. So this week, <clears throat> my challenge to you, excuse me, right now is, where do you need fruit? So it's, this is a personal thing. What can you focus on this week? Say, I'm going to pray I'm going to pray into this area of my life because I want to see more fruitfulness in this. Does that sound good? Can you do that right now? Write it down, just one sentence. <clears throat> Lord, I'm looking for fruitfulness in this area of my life. And then, then begin to commit to praying for that. And this morning before we go, now that you have an idea of what that is, I would like to invite our worship team just to lead us in a, in a final song of worship. 
but also I want to use this time as an opportunity for us to put it into practice. Before we go, right now, I'm asking that you will take that topic, whatever that is that God put on your heart, and we're going to pray about it right now, okay? So do you guys have a song? Can we, um, what song is it? Is that newer one? Awesome. <clears throat> awesome. Would you stand with me, please? And I want to pray for us in just a moment, and then I'm going to invite you to, to pray into what the Lord is putting on your heart. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we just worship you, and we thank you that you are for us and not against us. Lord, I thank you that that verse uh, in verse 6 doesn't mean what, you know, I used to think it meant. And I thank you, Lord, that you have shared these sayings with us, that our joy would be complete, that we would have comfort and encouragement, that we would bear fruit. And, Lord, it is our great desire to be fruitful. Lord, we want our lives to shine. We want to be filled with joy. We want to be filled with uh, goodness. We thank you that your goodness does surround us, does follow after us, does chase after us. We thank you for your love, Lord. All the days of our lives, surely your goodness and your love will follow us. Thank you, Lord, that your favor surrounds us like a shield. Thank you, Lord, that you told us we can ask anything in your name and that you would do it according to your will, according to your nature, when we agree with heaven about anything here on earth, when we agree with your will, with your word, that it will be done. We celebrate that truth today, Lord. We thank you. It's according to your name, according to your nature, according to your will. When we agree with heaven about anything here on earth, it will be done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right now, just build our faith, God, before we begin to just activate uh, our prayers in regards to what you're telling us to do this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this truth that we can say to that mountain to be moved and cast into the sea, and it will happen. We don't doubt, but we believe it will be done. We thank you, Lord, when we agree with heaven, when we agree with you, when we pray it in your name, according to your will, according to your nature, it is a done deal. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. As we begin to sing this song, I want to invite you to do something. We haven't done this hardly ever, but I just think it's really a cool way to respond to the Lord. And what it is, is I would just encourage you, if you're physically able to do this, to kneel at your seat, just to turn and make an altar right there where you are. You, you know, if you want to come forward, you can come forward. If not, I'm happy with you just kneeling. Let's just take a minute individually. If you're here with a family member and there's, a, there's something that together you guys are seeking the Lord for and, and shoot, looking for some more fruit in your life, just hold each other's hands and, and, and just turn and bow at, at your chair and make it an altar. Make it a sacred place right here, right now, and begin to speak out what God is calling you to pray about, that there will be fruit in your life and that you will not doubt, but you will believe when you're asking in his name. And so let's do that together for a few moments, and I'll come back and I'll just close our prayer time together. But I want to just respond. I want to just put in to those, uh, to what God is saying, seeds right now. We're going to plant seeds of faith and prayer. So let's bow, let's turn, let's make an altar. If you physically can, if you can't, you can just sit in your chair and pray right there. And would you guys lead us in, in the song? Thank you, Lord.